Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio, with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms, and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to your post-match Raw on Anfield Index Pro, podcasting to you from my field here in beautiful rural Ireland. I'm Trev Downey and joining me to give their immediate reactions to Liverpool 9, Bournemouth 0 in a record Premier League win from Anfield are Dave Hendrick and Carl Matchett. Not exactly what we could have hoped for, Dave, even in our wildest dreams, but we will take it with both hands and a big smile on our face. Well, I'm not sure, Trev. You see, um, after Monday's podcast, uh, some chap who I have no idea who he is was on Twitter saying that I had turned against Klopp so I've decided to lean into that and embrace the villain angle here (laughs) only nine we wanted ten back to Germany with you Klopp out fantastic like like in like in professional wrestling we need a heel and Dave Hendrick Hendrick has stepped forward into that role happy to embrace that role (laughs) oh Um, by by the way as well just before we go on any further um will you just ease off on the brainwashing because apparently another uh uh, insightful um um, individual reckons that um I should be uh pulling you up on your bad opinions. Um, and that can only be because you've obviously brainwashed me into not having an opinion of my own, despite all the evidence to the contrary. So lay off, Dave, will you? Because I'm, I'm I'm mentally weak, obviously. Is that all right? Must have found, must have found one of Brian's burners on Twitter. So there you go. Um, <laughs> no, look, I mean, 9-0, you can't argue, you know, what a performance. Six different Liverpool goal scorers and an own goal Salah without a goal or an assist, missed two sitters. It should have been 10 or 11. Like, yeah. that's the thing. It's not like we took all our chances. Um, Bobby, I thought, was looked like Bobby of old. He looked like fun Bobby again rather than drunk Bobby. And he is now back to being Bobby. He is no longer Robert. Um, I thought Diaz was absolutely incredible from minute one to minute 94. Just they couldn't cope with him at all, despite missing two sitters and not being involved in the goal. I th- any goals, I thought Salah played really well. But I thought the biggest difference was Fab. And I thought you saw today what Fab brings to this team, like single-handedly just taking control of that midfield zone and allowing us to press them really high for our fullbacks to get up and pin them back everything being recycled. They could not get out. And any time they did get out, it was like a hit and hope 
with one player chasing an aimless long ball against Virgil or Joe Gomez, who are both rapid, so they had no real chance of getting onto them. All of that, I thought, I thought stemmed. From, now I don't want to brainwash anybody, obviously, but I thought that stemmed from Fabinho and how aggressive he was in terms of his positioning, the decisions he made, and how well he used the ball. Like everything was one and two touch. Look at it, knock on effects. When you have someone who is that platform back to his best today, undoubtedly. Mm. And no one can argue that. And you see the the world-class foot in merchant that he is, that builds a platform for the likes of Andy Robbo, Trent and Bob to be on the ball so much more. And therefore, it's no surprise that their individual performances, those three as well, kicked on a notch mm. as well. And Carl, let me bring you in early this week, as I did in last week, and say to you, all the people we've mentioned so far, 100% agree. It's It was tr- a tremendous outings for all of them. But I was really taken by the three kids, by Harvey Elliott, by Fabio Carvalho, and by Bacetic when he came on as well. Tremendous uh, outings for all of them. You could say it was an easy afternoon for the the latter two, um, in that you know you had a demoralised opposition and we were very much on the front foot and we didn't take our foot off the gas, so it was front foot football. But they had to then go and do it. Uh, the the last of the kids to come on, the seventeen year old. Holy hell. I mean, the confidence in possession was tremendous. And as for the goals taken by Elliot and uh, and Fab, Fab Carvalho, my highlights were, were those two moments, just primarily because of the connection to the ongoing elephant in the room, which is how are we going to address our midfield issues? A little bit of hope for those of us who are a bit pessimistic about any recruitment uh, in those wonderful moments. Yeah, um very, very difficult to be downcast about anything at all when you've just won 9-0 and it's um, quite a nice turn of events considering it's the same three of us who were on after last week's roar, of course. So a bit of a, a different atmosphere about the entire tone of this pod. And like you say, it was right from minute one, basically, that we were right in on them. I think, to be honest, I, I would say you look at just after kickoff, I think it was Joe Gomez went in with a big crunch and challenge on one of them and went in with... Uh, another tackle like to get in ahead of them a minute later and right from then everybody was the same and it was like a a complete reversal of what we saw last week to be honest where United were quicker United were snapping into things a bit quicker than we were and more forcefully well it was us this time and it obviously made a big big difference because of the quality level when you're playing at your level Um, the the contrast in energy levels and intensity and how quickly we were after transitions was very very apparent I mean we'll get into it but I'd probably say at this point as well, Bournemouth, fuck me, atrocious. Jesus Christ, what an abomination of a team they put together for that Premier League season. And we'll get into that more, but it was um, very, very difficult to live with some of these Liverpool players in this kind of form. I mean, Diaz, as Dave just mentioned there, he, he was just relentless today. He must be such a pain in the ass to play against when he's in this kind of form because he's he's everything, isn't he? He's really quick and he's got great skill and he can go both sides and he's good in the air and he's strong and... He's just unstoppable. He really is. Um, as for the kids, I mean, I think Elliot's been probably, I'd probably put him as our best player so far this season. If you take all the performances across the board uh, and and their average level, let's say, I think he's been the most consistent of our midfielders by a mile. I think he's been one of the few who, when things were not going too well, was really trying to get a hold of the game and try to make things happy for happen for us, but in the same way as they should be, not just trying to force it with ridiculousness. Um, and I'm very, very pleased for him. I, I assume and I hope 
there was no issue with him going off at half time. And that was just obviously an opportunity to give Carvalho a go. Uh, and as for his goal, really well deserved. He very nearly scored one similar against United and he has been having a big impact for us when he's come off the bench all season so far. Yeah. And uh, working with the two of you uh, on a regular basis, I do always appreciate the balance. Um, and it is important to point out that the opposition were poor today. But, you know, uh, when you have an opportunity to discuss a 9-0 win, you should get on with it and discuss those highlights because they have been few and far between uh, this season so far in a very weird opening uh, to the campaign for us. So, we should get on with the progress of the show because there are a lot of moments to discuss. Uh, and we'll just do that quickly by having a look at the selections. And Carl, I'm going to stay with you because you talked about how Scotty Parker has put together this Bournemouth side. Um, a side altogether from his um, very unique uh, fashion sense, more of which later, uh, you could question his decision making on an awful lot of his squad choices for sure. I'm not 100% certain what it is that he's trying to do, which is why I'm going to ask you uh, by putting you uh, in the in the crosshairs and ask you to explain what the hell is it that um, Scott Parker is doing. And even if I could, were to guess, which I, I could come up with a, a fairly half decent attempt to see what he's trying to do. Could you confirm or deny that he doesn't seem to have the personnel to carry that task out? Anyway, that's maybe a leading question. You you give me your take on Bournemouth, how they're set up today and what it is they're trying to do as a style of play. Well, listen, it's very, very difficult to answer that question. And we spoke about it on Scouter beforehand. You know, they've come in to this season and been trying to play with the back three through most of it. We have to acknowledge they've not had the easiest of starts in terms of fixture lists. Um, obviously, Villa on the open day and they got the win, which very, very important for them. But after that, you cannot take anything out of a game against Man City. Arsenal have obviously started the season well and are having sort of their own very, very routine and easy fixture list at the start of the season. And then Liverpool is another difficult one. So it's hard to say that this is what Bournemouth are going to be because they've had to chop and change formation a little bit and everything. But in general terms, the players they brought in are not good enough and they've not brought in enough. And to, to his credit, I suppose, if credit is the right word, Parker knows that. He has said that there's not enough come in in terms of quantity, but there's definitely not enough in terms of quality. He said we're not Premier League ready. And I think that that's pretty much evidenced by the fact that at least probably four of these players are who started today and not Premier League quality in the slightest. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's fair enough. And just to confirm for anyone who's interested uh, what was going on around that. Well, actually, do you know what? I can't. I won't actually just do that. I'll take take it across to Dave, just in case you want to have a word about Bournemouth. Anything you want to say on them and their manager and their intent for the season? Obviously, they did have an opening day win. We can't forget that. Um, although maybe there's not people aren't quite as high on, on Aston Villa under Stevie Gerrard as they had been in, in, in previous months. Uh, but anything you want to say about them, please do. And then if you wouldn't mind just segueing into our match analysis by referring to the Reds 11, and I'm just going to say to you what I thought when I saw it, which was, 
well, what the fuck else team was it going to be? I mean, it was sticking out a mile to me that this is going to be the team. I'm no Nostra Downey, but I just thought, well, of course it's going. To, that's going to be the team. Fab has to start. The captain's going to play, and it's going to be Harvey Elliott. Uh, I didn't see any other choice there. The back four picks itself, and the front uh, three picked itself. So to me, there's almost nothing worth discussing there because that's what Klappo was always going to go with, unless he was going to make a statement. And in his pre-match chats to the press. He did make that statement. He was saying it's going to be about effort. So he was always going to rely on those guys to do better than they had done up to now. Uh, that's my tuppence on that. But um, your take on Bournemouth. And then if you want to segue into the Reds and we'll go from the match after that. Yeah, so on Bournemouth, I mean, the recruitment, they're leaving it very late. They did get Ryan Fredericks, who's not very good. And Joe Rothwell, who I do like, but is out injured for a few months. In on the 1st of July, they got those deals done rapidly and then didn't get anybody else in until uh, Tavernier arrived on the 1st of August. And then it was Neto, who I'm not a fan of, and Sinisi. It just isn't enough. And before the kind of transfer window opened, I did for two-footed, like a, a squad needs for every club. And I went through and it wasn't like, with every club, you have to look at them individually. So, like, what's the very best version of Bournemouth under Scott Parker? And for me, it was 17th. If they can finish 17th, that is the very best they're going to do this season because it's very much a championship-level squad. He's very much a championship-level manager. So, you know, I had positions that I thought they'd need to strengthen. And to their credit, they have largely strengthened most of them. It's just that the quality of some of the signings like Fredericks and Neto, I wouldn't be keen on. So it's, look, it's tough when you're a newly promoted team and you can't offer something special, big wages, historic club, London, it is going to be more of a slog to try and get new players to come to you. Like if a player has a choice between Nottingham Forest, two-time European cup winner, offering Premier League standard wages, Fulham, glamorous part of London to live in, offering plenty of wages, or Bournemouth. Bournemouth are very much third on that list. So it's hard for Parker to, to recruit. I know they were in for a couple of other players this summer that they lost out on to other Premier League clubs who are either more established, offer more money, or have some sort of historic appeal. Like, Bournemouth play in a home stadium that holds 11,500. You know, like, that's... The, the next highest, or the next lowest, rather, is Brentford at about 17,500. That's 6,000 of a gap. That's 50% of Bournemouth Stadium on top of what they have. So that just shows you the gulf between them and other clubs. And it's not like they could build a bigger stadium and fill it. They don't have the demand. There's weeks where their current stadium's not filled by their own fans. So, you know, for them to be in the Premier League is a tremendous achievement. And it's going to be a very, very long season. Obviously, they've had this very difficult start. They beat Villa, but Stevie G looks like he might be a lot closer to Frank Lampard than he is to someone that could potentially take over at Liverpool one day. Um, they got swept aside by City, who didn't really play all that well and still scored four. Arsenal had them beaten in 10 minutes and then they get us and they get us at a time where we're wounded. Klopp, you know, has probably lit into these lads a couple of times during the week and rightly so. 
everybody has heard all of the rumours and the demand from the fan base about the need for new players. That puts players' jobs under a little bit of scrutiny, puts their positions in the team under threat. So you knew you were going to get some sort of reaction from Liverpool today. And unfortunately for Bournemouth, it was that type of reaction. Now, you mentioned the Liverpool team. And I look, based on what we saw against United, Henderson had no business starting today. But him or Milner was going to start. I had said that I thought um, Besetic should start just because he couldn't be any worse. But realistically, it was going to be one of Henderson or Milner because he wasn't going to change the shape to accommodate the, the young fella coming in. You know, he'd be more comfortable in a double pivot with Fab. So it had to be one of the two. Milner played two games in a row. He probably isn't capable of a whole lot more at the minute. I know he came on as a sub today, but he was, you know, the game was over. Um, so starting Henderson probably made a bit more sense just in terms of freshness and legs. But all things considered, he, there was nothing else for him to pick. I mean, look at the bench for Milner, Adrian, Costas, Carvalho. The, that's it. You've got Bobby Clark and, and Besetic who came on, Nat Phillips, Sepp Vandenberg, and Harvey Davies, who's another goalkeeper. So you've got two goalkeepers, two centre-backs, James Milner, who's kind of a utility player, Simicus, who's a left-back, a holding midfielder, and two attacking midfielders in Bobby Clark and Carvalho. You don't actually have a forward player on the bench, so he had to go with Bobby again. There was no real option there. But it is just a bit mad to look at the bench and look at Carvalho and think, like, this 19-year-old is the only real game-changing option we have off that bench. So Klopp was working with a shortened hand today, and I think he picked the only team he really could. And... Uh, it worked. Like it, it absolutely worked. It the 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 start was unbelievable. We flew at them. And credit to you know both the manager and that squad of players, depleted as it is, missing eight or nine first team um, uh, options. Uh, you'd have to say uh, to run out with that result and to have dipped into the bench as heavily as we did uh, while doing it. Um, is impressive um, for sure and uh, gives us all a bit of a feel-good factor as we uh, begin looking at the details of the match and as you say Dave I might as well start with you for the first two goals because it is about two they are from two lads we've already featured heavily in our praise Um, but you could tell immediately and I I don't know about you you two but you know for me that's the, the biggest relief today was just seeing us playing like we do, like we should, like we know we, we, we can. And it was, it was, if you boil it down to the basics, the manager's coming out again here looking very, very, um, uh, I don't know, like he, he, he gets a lot of credit because he made it simplistic. He said it was about effort. And um, if you ally effort to to technique, um, that's what you get in those opening, say, five minutes uh, that we're going to talk about here. Two goals, the first of them from Luis Diaz, Great work by Bobby Firmino in the build-up. He's the one that ends up crossing the ball to Luis, whose headed finish is excellent. You know, it's a really technically great header, which he repeats at the death of the game as well. And then within three, we're 2-0 up. This time it's Harvey Elliott. Mo plays the ball onto Bobby. Bobby has a touch 
which actually will go down as an assist, but is a miscontrol. But it's the ends up being the perfect set for Harvey, who steps onto it, and his execution with the left foot is a perfect curling shot to the base of the far post. These are two really well taken goals on the back, Dave, of great pressure pressing and occasional bobbles that go your favor and go in your way when you're trying to do the right fucking thing. Yeah, that's exactly it. Look, the, the old saying, what's the old saying? Hard work only beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. And on Monday night, we saw that a hardworking team outplayed us because we didn't work hard enough. We were far more talented than them. We just didn't work hard enough. Today, that was a risk as well because it was a risk against Palace. It was a risk against Fulham and both of those teams outworked us. Today we came out, there was going to be no mistakes. There was going to be no doubt that we were going to outwork this Bournemouth team. And the one thing they can do, the one thing you give them credit for is they do graft. That Bournemouth team under Parker, they do graft because Parker doesn't know anything else. Scott Parker was a bang average footballer who made a very good career for himself and was a Footballer of the Year award winner because he grafted and grafted and grafted his entire career. So his team are in his image. You, you see that often with managers. Like you look at uh, Lampard's Everton and Lampard's Chelsea, they run around a lot with no real sense of position. Gerard's team lacks a certain tactical and positional discipline. Those are mirrored images of what they were as players. Capello, Rafa, Julia, they all avoided playing Stevie in midfield when they could because they just felt that the one thing lacking in his game was a bit of tactical discipline, a little bit, little bit of positional discipline. Parker was a grafter, and that's what you see with his team. So we had to come out and we had to work from minute one. And credit to the lads, they absolutely did. Every single time a Bournemouth player got on the ball, there was not one but two Liverpool players steaming in on him and making him turn back or making him give the ball away. So it was great signs from the get-go. The first goal is brilliant work from Bobby. And like you said, a fantastic header from Diaz. And I just want to give a mention to Sam Maguire here because when before Liverpool signed Diaz, before the news broke that fateful night on Twitter that we were about to sign Diaz, myself and Sam had been talking about him on and off for maybe two months at that point, because he was doing really well in Portugal. And I think Sam wrote an article on, I don't know if it was his, if he had his Patreon then, if it was his old newsletter, but he was talking about Diaz. Now, the summation was what we all thought. He'll be too expensive because he had the big buyout. But one of the things Sam highlighted was how good this guy is in the air. And we saw it today. I mean, the first goal and the second goal that, that he gets are just fantastic. Um, Bobby clearly saw Gabriel Jesus feasting against this Bournemouth team last weekend and told him to come outside because everything that Jesus did last weekend, Bobby did today and then a whole bunch more. And Jesus had a similar type of assist to what Bobby had for Elliot, where he tried to control the ball, but it bounced off him. And in, in Jesus's case, it was Odegaard from about 10 yards out. In this case, it was Harvey from 20 yards out, and it's a great strike. I mean, the technique is just picture perfect. Watching him strike that ball, it was like watching Beckham strike a ball back in the day. Like that, just striking through the ball with the instep, getting that lovely bit of bend and that dip 
that the keeper really had no chance at all. And like poor Mark Travers, fellow Irishman, we, myself and yourself will definitely be taking sympathy with him and hoping he bounces back because he's a very good young goalkeeper and someone that you know we'll be wanting to do well for the national team in the future years. But there's not one of those goals today he could do anything about. Like yeah, these yeah. were high caliber goals. Yeah, uh, to to be fair, um, I th- I was in a flat because I thought I wasn't going to get to see it, but um, not for the first time. Um, Premier Sports with uh, uh, the clatter of Irish uh, um, pundits did me a solid, and I got to see the game. Now, <laughs> when you're looking at a, a punditry team of 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 uh, of um, Richie and 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 Damien and all the boys. You, you know, sometimes you, you, you win to a little bit Shea given. But to be fair to Shea, he did say, look, to be fair to Travers, not a whole lot you could do on any of them. And I, I think that's fair. And he actually pulls off a few great saves. And yeah, you would have a lot of sympathy for a kid like that who's clearly a talent to be on the end of. You know, just even the fact of having to take the ball at the end nine times, that's grim. So hopefully he'll rally, uh, but not when we play them next. And Carl, to move on, because like there is going to be a, a lot to talk about here. In that next spell as well, the pattern pretty much continued. Uh, I was having a look at our midfield in particular just to see how it was going to work because, I, you know, again, it's it's something, a topic that's close to all of our hearts. And uh, you could see there was the right intention, if not always uh, the execution from the people um, um, in, in that area. Um, I thought it was very, very interesting to see uh, Diaz coming into the number eight area and drifting across the park to be involved in the build-up for Harvey's goal, the determination and the laying off of the ball and all that kind of stuff. Very interesting. Um, anyway, 14 minutes, um, there was a free kick for them, their first opportunity to do something. We actually got out-jumped twice on that, and that was just enough to make me feel a little uncomfortable, um, Virgil being out-jumped on, on the second ball. And again, I really I wanted to see him back to his Rolls-Royce best, and there had been a sloppy touch a little bit earlier, and you just these things, of course, make you nervous until the game is under control. Fifteen minutes, we did see Harvey playing the ball into Bob, who plays the ball into Luis, who plays it back to Harvey. His ball from the left found Mo Salah about a yard out at the back post. The first of two absolute nailed on chances he should have scored, and he conspired to miss it somehow. Uh, on eighteen minutes. Bobby, who's in full, as Dave says, fun Bobby mode, scoops a gorgeous little ball over the top, magic little pass, uh, and Mo comes onto it with a right foot half volley, which is saved very well by our friend Travers uh, at the near post, uh, goes out for a corner. We get nothing from that. 19 minutes, a Henderson through ball, found Luis Diaz. He slipped over, stayed, kept control of the ball, somehow managed to slip and wiggle and pull it back, but it was intercepted. And on 27, we go 3-0 up. It's another moment of magic. Um, Carla, we'll pause here on this one uh, to get any of your thoughts on this chunk. Some great work um, in the middle of the park uh, invo- involving Fabinho, actually. In the end, he plays a 1-2 with Bobby. Um, and um, Trent, sorry, Trent plays the 1-2 with Bobby and he blasts it from right to left over into the far top corner. The execution is brilliant. Again, talking about the um, technique like we did with 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 Harvey's a minute ago via Dave, the execution of that is gorgeous. Um, and it was a real nerves settler, that third one. We already felt up, you know, but like I say, you're just watching the patterns. You're, you don't want anything uh, to, to give way for me. And we'll get to this as the game goes on. The, the nil part of the score today is, is as satisfying for me 
as the uh, the nine part. But in that little chunk leading up to that Trent goal, anything you wanted to pick out of it? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I agree with what you said about Van Dijk, actually. I mean, we're not going to go over the top about people who need to improve today when we've just won 9-0, obviously. But it's worth still pointing out that you can't just go from rubbish and dismal one week to back to the top of your game the next week. And there was a period of this match where a couple of our players did show that there's still a bit of work to be done for them to get back to good form or top level or whatever you want to call it. I think Van Dijk was one of them. There's one he sort of stumbled over the ball. There's one he sort of missed misread where it was going to bounce, another one that sort of went past him and the header that he lost. So he got better, obviously, and his passing was great as the game went on. I think Henderson was another one. Myself and Dave were just talking before, and the pass that you mentioned uh, down the channel to Diaz there on 19 minutes or so was like kind of the turning point for him to start improving as well. And before that, he had run into lots of blind alleys and been tackled and lost possession very, very easily in the centre of the park a few times. Uh, he managed to almost get in Salah's way a couple of times as well, one of those shots that you mentioned. So there was a few players who were still, let's say, feeling their way back into the game. And even when we were a couple of goals up, they were still only then just about getting themselves on a, a level par, let's say. So hopefully today, as a, above and beyond the result and the score and the points and everything else, is um, almost a mentality reset for a few of them, sort of, right, we've got that out of the way now, let's go back to doing the relentless thing that we used to do. And it's got to be not necessarily the scoreline every game, but the performance level that we were doing in that, let's say, 15 through to 70-minute period or something like that. Um, mostly, though, I was just very, very happy that after the two goals went in, we didn't stop playing as quickly as we did. Uh, as we had started, you know, we didn't let the pace drop. We didn't really let the intensity of our press drop. I think probably a few of them sensed that the ability to play out of Bournemouth was not really there and we were going to have an awful lot of the ball. I think it was like 70% in that first half. And it was probably a good, I don't want to be too disrespectful, but training exercise basically in how to re uh, orchestrate that high press and where to be off the ball when we were trying to make that little net outside the penalty box we've spoken about lots of times and it was a really good uh, practical exercise let's say into getting back the performance level where it should be in terms of how quickly we play how energetically we play and obviously with some sort of end product which Trent's shot was a very fine example of let me stay with you and I'll bring this question to Dave to segue into the next part as well, because within three minutes, we are 4-0 up. And the question, I'm framing this description of Bobby's goal in order to put a question to you. It's Fabinho to Harvey Elliott, then to Mo Salah. His cross is deflected and reading the flight of that ball and being in the right position is Bobby Firmino, who stretches and volleys home from about three, four yards. Um, I enjoyed that goal as much as any of them. Uh, and I have a question for you, uh, because there were people are inclined to make dramatic statements, uh, and an awful lot of people um, do that in a reactionary way. And some of them do that because they, they they get a bad feeling based on evidence that they've 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 been accruing. I, I hope I fell into that latter category when I was just worried that maybe we we had seen the very best of Bobby. But I, 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 nothing makes me happier than than to be wrong, to be proven wrong by a player doing something wonderful. And I really love his performance today, Carl. That goal 
should not be underestimated yet. It's a poacher's goal. And and what else do you want from a guy who's who's leading your line uh, in the way that he does? But also his involvement in the build-up play was classic Bobby Firmino, the classic uh, glue uh, that 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 that's held held the side together for so long. Um, and it was aggressive, and it was strong, and it was uh, um, provocative. And I, I would love to think that we can expect to see uh, a sort of renaissance from that man um, on the back of this. Um, maybe I'm just wishing a bit too much, but. Where, where do you stand on 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 where where we are with Bobby Firmino? Maybe I'm pushing him a bit too far the opposite way now. Where where do you reckon we are with him? Well, first of all, we need him to be uh, at least much much closer to the level of let's say a Salah or a Diaz or whatever than he has been at the start of the season because we've got fewer attackers now. Um, we've obviously got a couple of them out injured at the moment, but I mean after losing. Uh, Taki and Origi and whatever it's it's kind of down by net one now the the upside of that should be that whoever plays are all of a closer level because him and Jota Firmino and Jota are closer to Darwin and the rest of them than Origi and Minamino would have been but only if they're performing well obviously and we we as a team weren't so yeah hopefully Firmino keeps up this sort of level I do expect that he will be much more of a a 60 or 30 minute player rather than a 90 minute player. Like he went off reasonably early today, considering he was on a hat trick. But you think back to last season when he started the campaign in really, really good form and he scored lots and lots of goals. They were all of them in and around the six yard box to the penalty spot. All of them. I think there was, um, I think there was the two braces in the league and two goals in the champions league at some point. And all of them were very, very close in other than I think one against Porto possibly where the goalkeeper was miles off his line. Um, so we have seen Firmino do this, be much more penalty box centric and be you know, classic number nine sort of poacher um, positional play. And hopefully, yes, we see that again, because where he was against United, whether it, like we said at the time, whether that was instruction or just where he felt he had to go to try and influence the game. It didn't benefit Liverpool at all, not in terms of winning back possession, certainly not in terms of any build up play or creating anything in the final third. So he can still do both roles. He can be that sort of fulcrum that helps knit things together, but he can also get himself into the box and be a real threat on goal. And we, we do need him to be. Dave, just to take you in on that, Bobby Firmino washed on the road to redemption, somewhere in between? Probably somewhere in between. I mean, look, it was it was a brilliant performance from Bobby, but like Carl said, he started last season playing well as well and then just sort of tailed off. We just need him to be functional and we need him to be consistent in what he does. He He's helped, not taking a dig at him before anyone starts crying. He's Bobby's a much better nine when Henderson isn't the right side at eight because the spaces Bobby wants to drop into, Henderson also wants to play in those areas. Whereas today, Harvey is the right side at eight, was playing much wider on the right-hand side and actually getting beyond Bobby as well. So Bobby had space to drop into and operate in and everything wasn't getting clogged up the way him and Henderson just running into each other. Um, that's both of their faults, not one or the other. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's just more comfortable when he's got probably more technically gifted players moving around him in that side, that right sided area. So it was great to see Bobby play so well. Um, he's certainly one that's come in for a lot of criticism. And I think, the majority of that criticism has been deserved. But, you know, you look back at the United game and I rewatched it during the week because I 
don't know, hate myself or something. But <laughs> he wasn't actually as bad as I thought initially. It's just that he didn't really play as a striker. He went and played in the holding midfield role because we were getting battered in midfield. So he dropped in to help out. And he did kind of wrestle a bit of control back for us. And, you know, his passing was off and whatever else. But you could see he was making clever decisions. And when Bobby's making clever decisions, things tend to to go well for him. And today he made a lot of clever decisions and it went very well. So, yeah, and I, I think the reason Klopp took him off before he got the hat-trick was out of fear that he'd be away off on the piss tonight and we'd get drunk Bobby for another six weeks and no one wants that. <laughs> Nobody wants that. And when things go well for Bobby, they tend to go well for Liverpool. Again, knock-on effects. The uh, next person I want to talk about is Virgil van Dijk. So we're going to look at the run to the end of the first half where we do a lot of good stuff on 33 minutes. A Trent cross bounced uh, and Robbo's coming running um, down the left flank. His effort to head towards goal is frankly comical. He arrives like a half a pace too late, so the ball bounces too high. His attempted header, when he's like straight in front of the goal uh, with a bouncing ball to attack, his attempted header sort of goes well, wildly over the top. And it's another one, it's a, it's as bad a miss as either of Mo's, if we're being honest, because he just has to time his run a bit better. 34 minutes, Smith goes in wild on Henderson. Picks up a yellow for it. Lovely one-touch move on about 35. Ended with a Trent cross. It was just a bit too deep and ended up going over the far byline, I think. 37 minutes, there was a ball into Christie who controlled with his upper arm. He was in acres of space. was allowed to swivel and shot. His effort ended up in the side netting. Um, one of those little alarm bells about the space and our defence again. Just a little one, you know, kind of we're in that area where everyone's been talking about all week with them. Um, and Joe and Trent. Uh, Trent, however, on 38 minutes, just a minute later, gave us a reminder that actually he can defend. He was brilliant to rob the ball off Tavernier and to uh, pass it on to Harvey Elliott. On 41 minutes, again, Trent with a lovely ball into Harvey. His cross was intercepted, ended up in a corner uh, and a badly off-target Mo half-volley uh, resulted from that corner. Uh, and on 44 Mo um, Salah broke. Um, Bobby carried the ball for a distance and drove a long-range bobbler, which was headed for the bottom corner. Uh, but another good save by Travers, who tips it round the post, and that led to a corner on the 45th minute, which Robbo took, and Virgil, unchallenged, battered home. Uh, really well-directed header uh, inside the near post. So... There's a lot there which happened and no doubt there might be one thing that you want to go back to or maybe two. But I just said a bit earlier on that the nil part was as important for me as the nine part. There's our centre half contributing to the nine mm. part and that's a wonderful thing. But as the game went on, we looked more assured and as the game went on, some of the things that have been causing us issues were put to bed. A couple of the early anxious moments, you could see us working them out. Like I said, after just after that gap opened up for uh, Christie to have that shot, we see Trent being brilliant in that exact spot in the park. And now you've got Virgil going, I can do this too. And he had a couple of early sketchy moments, but was pretty... Um, unflappable after that and of course these things take time even for the very best guys uh, I'm encouraged by it and I'm encouraged that if we get to see Virgil in particular back to his very very best then everything steps up a level yeah because he is the the bar for this team he is the one that raises the floor 
of this team. We've, we've seen it since he's been here. I mean, he arrived to a team that were middling, middling. I mean, we were, you know, somewhere between fourth and sixth best team in the league, but we were in the Champions League and probably going to get to the the knockout stages and then go out in the round of 16 or whatever. And he arrived and he took us to a Champions League final that first year. Then in his first full season, we went from fourth to second and, what, half an inch from winning the title, that Mane, Salah, John Stones thing that happened at the Etihad. Um, and we won the Champions League. The following year, we run away with the league. Then he gets injured and we fall back to the pack. And then last season, when he's back, we finish second, we get to a European Cup final, we win both cups, because that is the level of player that he is. And when people talk about setting the standards and attribute it to people that it just shouldn't be attributed to, Virgil van Dijk sets the standards at Liverpool. He is the bar against which greatness is measured for us and for all other clubs. Like, it's no surprise that any time Virgil has an iffy game or whatever, there are City fans and Chelsea fans rushing to tweet something out about a Virgil error because they're so few and far between that they have to revel in those moments. If we did it for their defenders, we'd never have time to talk about anything else. But they have to do it every time it happens to Virgil for the cheap uh, retweets and likes and whatever else. Because he, he is the standard bearer for defenders in world football, for centre-backs in the history of the Premier League. I mean, this guy, is he's one of a kind. And he is such a cheat code in the penalty box for the opposition. And I talked about this the year he was out injured. When our ability to score from set pieces just disappeared until Ali stepped up and saved us. Because... It's not just that Virgil can get his head to a ball and score a goal. It's the gravity of Van Dyke. It's all of the opposition defenders trying to focus on their man and also knowing I'm probably going to help out if the ball goes near him and drifting out to try and stop him from getting to the ball. And you see it most times like when we play teams that are even semi-decent defensively. Virgil jumps for a ball from a set piece and there's three of their players up with him, which means that there are spare Liverpool players somewhere who can take advantage of it. He's an absolute cheat code and obviously we know what he is defensively. I mean, he's just, it's outrageous. The, the gap the gap between him and the second best centre-back in the world is probably bigger than the gap between number two and number 10. Like, he's just that much better than everybody else. And I thought, oh, today, I thought today he was just, like he did have a couple of iffy moments in the first half where, you know, he stood in the ball or whatever. But like once he clicks in and it's just different class and even like certain things, like say the goalie that we conceded against United that people have tried to criticise him for. Like I still look at that and I think like you have to understand this guy's on such a different level to anybody else that as Sancho's, getting the ball. He is figuring out every single permutation of what can happen from here. And once Milner goes down, he recalculates the odds and realises if I go to him, we're in trouble here. 
I'm going to make him shoot because I don't, I don't think he's going to score because we've got Ali behind. He didn't know Ali was gone flailing in the other direction, but I just think he he's such a difference maker for us. Like he, he him arriving was the beginning of this era. Yeah, Dave, look, Virgil not going to the ball has caused a lot, an awful lot of us who watch the game at times to have heart attacks. But most of the time, when you watch that, you don't notice that he hasn't gone yeah. to the ball because it's a position that he's adapting to influence what is going to happen just, next. Just look, now, of course, he's capable against Spurs a couple it's, of years. It's, ago. It, well, that's that's the prime example. But of course, of course, the lad can make the wrong call, and in this case, maybe going charging out to the ball would have been the right thing to do. You don't know, but he he's, he makes the right decision most of the time. And one of those, it actually looks passive, but it's not a passive decision. Mm, exactly, and, and that's what people don't seem to get. Started the second half on forty-five minutes Billing and Solanke came on for Christie and Smith I think we bring on Fabio uh, Carvalho for Harvey Elliott um, I'm going to go out and assume that that is absolutely just a uh, one kid for the other uh, yeah and, game's over sit down and get a rest because I, I hope I hope they played a lot this season already. yes exactly and, and that there's zero issues issues for Harvey and just let me get your take on this uh, own goal Dave before I, I take the opening chunk of the half through to Bobby's goal on 61 with Carl. Um, there's a Metamon goal in 46 minutes. The, the absolute last thing poor, poor El Parker would have wanted. Uh, Trent has put in a dangerous ball. He whips in another dangerous ball. Um, they're like two in the first minute and a half. Uh, and it basically gets turned home by uh, Metam. Now, VAR decided to look at it for quite a while. And they were looking, we were informed at an offside decision against Luis Diaz, who didn't touch the ball, um, who was behind Mepham. Now, this is a, an area where you need to go and you need to have the actual rule in front of you and the, the most recent version of it. But if a player doesn't touch the ball, then it comes down to is he affecting or, 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 or um, negatively affecting the, the, the course of play. I think that used to be the rule, at least. Um, but Mepham's a full stretch. And I heard... A, a couple of desperate pundits um, on Premier trying to say, well, you know, uh, Mepham only stretches for it because Diaz is behind him and he's trying to do something. I just thought that sounds a bit nanny state to me. Now, I, that's, I, a bit, that's a bit like that's the old rule type of mentality. Like, that's what it was a couple of years ago. The rules have been updated. Chris Williams, uh, at, I think it's at Chris 78 Williams on Twitter. He's tweeted the, the rule. So I'm going to read this out. Lovely. A, pl- a player is in an offside position at the moment the ball is played or touched by a teammate. Sorry, a player, yeah, a player in an offside position at the moment the ball is touched or played by a teammate is only penalised on becoming involved in active play by interfering with play by playing or touching a ball passed or touched by a teammate. So Diaz didn't touch the ball, didn't play the ball, so that doesn't apply. Interfering with an opponent by Preventing an opponent from playing or being able to play by clearly obstructing the opponent's line of vision. So that doesn't apply because he's behind Mepham. And doesn't touch him. And doesn't touch him. Challenging an opponent for the ball. The gap between them is about three yards. So he's not challenging uh, Mepham. Clearly attempting to play a ball which is close when this action impacts an opponent. So again, he's three yards away. So that doesn't come into play. Making an obvious action which clearly indicate uh, impacts on the ability of an opponent to play the ball. So, like, say he was in front of him and he stepped over it and dummied it. That would be that would be an offside. And the other thing is, or 
gaining an advantage by playing the ball or interfering with an opponent when it has rebounded or been deflected off the goalpost, crossbar, match official or an opponent, or been deliberately saved by an opponent. So if Trent's shot had hit the goalkeeper, if the goalkeeper had made a save and Diaz had run in and, say, missed the ball but taken a defender out of the play and then, say, Bobby or somebody taps at home, then Diaz is offside. So I get there was some confusion, and I was a bit confused as well at the time, to be totally honest. I knew he wasn't offside, but I couldn't remember why. And then Chris Williams has tweeted this out. So you'll find it on Chris's Twitter if anyone wants to have a read of it. Um, Lovely. Yeah, but by the rules, he is onside. And unfortunately for Scotty Parker, his halftime team talk, his halftime changes are just immediately out the window. Because, you know, he'll have said to them, look, let's go out and play with a bit of pride and try and, you know, get tighter Let's not concede another one. Let's go and win the second half. Let's go and try and get a 1-0 win in the second half because at least then when he gets them in training on Monday morning, he can say to them, look, forget the first half. Second half was much better. He played well in the second half because according to him, that's what he did after the Arsenal game. He sat them down and said, yeah, we lost 3-0, but we changed formation at halftime and we only lost the second half 1-0. So we did actually match Arsenal for most of that second half. Now, again, you take into account teams are cruising when they're a couple of goals up. But, you know, footballers have unique mindsets and they will take the small victories, the, the small margins. So for Parker, what he'd done at half time, which was bizarre as well, bringing on a half fit Solanke, seems like something that you're kind of risking re-injuring him and him being out for a longer period of time when he's your main goal scorer. But what he said at halftime and did at halftime immediately went out the window. It certainly did. More of um, Chris Williams' rule clarification later um, on a, another Reds goal. 50 minutes, Carl. There is a dangerous ball in by Luis Diaz. Uh, nothing comes of it. Uh, there is an opportunity when Henderson plays in Diaz, who does brilliantly to swivel and slip in Bobby Firmino uh, at the uh left post and Bobby's shot goes left to right bobbling across the goal and seems to hit the far post before going out um, it could have been a second one for him on 54 they actually have a free kick a opp- rare opportunity to get the ball forward in a threatening way and the free in found Lerner in acres of space at the back post uh, it went from left to right and uh, he headed sort of very badly over the top, considering the space and freedom he had. Um, again, I was just at, it's amazing the standards this team uh, have, have have set that made me so entitled. I was like, please, just a clean sheet. I want a clean sheet. Um, so I did find that a little bit irritating, but a brilliant defensive header by Henderson on a corner on 59 minutes, a near post header, uh, got it nearly up to the halfway line, clearing his lines quite well. And on 61, where I'm going to pause with you now, uh, it is Bobby Firmino's 100th goal, 7-0 for the Reds. Robbo plays a 1-2 on a corner with Fabio Carvalho and has a shot um, which is just going inside the far post. Uh, it's a really well-executed shot by Robbo, unusually for him. However, it's saved by Travers, not for the first time getting in the way. Um, Bob pounces and pokes it home after his initial attempt to do so was blocked. Um, and it's a lovely poacher's goal uh, of the type that we were chatting about earlier on. Um, we are going to take it on the next little chunk of the match as well. But just in case, is there anything you want to focus on in that in that section or in anything in the second half to date? 
No, just the uh, sort of reinforcement. What we were saying about Firmino is he was still involved in a lot of link-up play, but he was getting himself into those areas, into the six-yard box between the penalty spot and the keeper. Uh, and there were a couple of times where balls could have come in from the sides and they didn't in the end, but he was already making that run across as well. So the longer he keeps doing it and the more he keeps doing it, we will still see him getting in those positions. And, uh, well, maybe I thought actually maybe Salah would be put into that kind of role later on in the game just to give him a boost as well. But uh, I think that that's a, another indication of why Darwin is in and maybe we'll see him actually complete 90 minutes at some point in the league soon too. That would be that would be very nice indeed. And like I say, you and I'll take it on to the next goal, uh, which brings us up to the 80-minute mark. Um, there was some good um, football by Fabio Carvalho soon after his introduction. He did uh, he did well, but again on 65, um, earned a corner for the Reds. The chance arrived from that a trend corner headed by Virgil towards goal. It was saved uh, or knocked, uh, deflected out for another corner. Virgil won it again, but this time the keeper grabbed it. Um, Great to see the big man being that aerial aerial threat again that's worrying defences. We do a triple sub, Carl, on 68 minutes. Uh, Milner, Bacitic and Simicas for Hen- uh, Henderson, Robbo and Bobby Firmino. Um, <laughs> Simicas is giving me all the wrong feelings on about 71 minutes. He tried a cross-field ball, which our full-backs are quite adept at, uh, to Mo Salah, but it was bad to say the least um 74 minutes there is an opportunity where fab fab plays the ball into mo uh and mo salah lifts it over the top it's a great ball in by fabinho the miss is almost against the laws of physics mo's bearing down on goal he's straight in front of him he he lifts it over Uh, it's his second how is that possible miss of the day I don't blame him for the right-footed half volley. That's a good attempt earlier on. But the back post one, um, he really should have scored this one. He definitely should have scored. Uh, 75 minutes. Uh, I, I don't want to be a downer, but let's just mention something here. In 75 minutes, there's a load of buzz going around the, the, the park because modern football fans have their smartphones. The scores are being fed in immediately. And Bournemouth... Uh, maybe maybe you two have a different opinion. Bournemouth fans started cheering for uh, uh, City's go-ahead 3-2 goal because the world had gone round, of course, earlier on. They were 2-0 down, and apparently they should have been 3-0 down. But, you know, whatever. It's City. It's a different whole, different uh, uh, argument. That I just found that particularly pathetic, I have to say. They bring on Pearson for Smith, who goes off within a minute injured. Um, it looks like a bad knock. And we go ahead Eight nil on eighty minutes. It is Fabio Carvalho. This Carl is a picture postcard goal. Trent with one of those crossfield balls I just mentioned to Simicus, who stepped his game up with a beautiful volleyed set cut back for Fabio, who steps onto it, strikes it with the outside of his foot, goes from left to right inside the far post. I mean, you dream of goals like that. You dream, actually, Carl, if you've ever played the game at all. And I know you like to you like to play. You dream of taking any single part of that and being that being you. The crossfield ball, you're feeling great about that. The beautiful volley set by Simicast, you're feeling good about that. And as for volleying that finish in the way that he does, I mean, the coolness, the technique, it's absolutely what everyone is coached to do. A, a delight of a goal. It was, it was beautiful. And I think, again, I'll, like you've already covered like a lot of the technical aspect of it there, which completely in agreement with it. It was really, really nice to see 
the team as a whole keep on pushing when we've already got a really big scoreline and keep looking for more. And I think that's probably a thing at that stage of the game of having youngsters on the pitch. Um, you know, we've all seen teams go four, five, six, even nil up, and then they kind of take the foot off the pedal. You think of Old Trafford last season, for example, where we had a lot of younger players and players who aren't always in the team uh, on the pitch in this game at that particular moment. So maybe that was a part of it. They were keen to you know make their own impact and have their own uh, input into the game at, at uh, a big scoreline. But also, I think the movement from Carvalho, when he's been playing again and again and again, is getting himself into that area of the pitch, getting himself into positions where he can take on shots. Uh, I said he had a, a similar volley against United, but he's had probably what, four or five chances this season, all told, from that kind of area as well, to either the penalty spot or just to the left of it when he's coming onto it and he's on his right foot. And he will get himself a good few goals from there, even in games maybe where he doesn't have a big impact all the way through or he's not playing particularly well, just by virtue of getting himself into those areas of the pitch, he will have quite a significant impact on our on our goals tally this season, I would imagine. It's a great thing to see. Really is. It's highly, highly, highly encouraging. And Carl, I'll be back to you for your wrap-up thoughts in a minute. Uh, I'll finish the show with Dave's wrap-up thoughts. But Dave, let's you and I just take this last chunk of the game and feel free to flash back to anything you've heard described uh, from the uh, in, in the late part of the second half so far. We have a substitution on 82 where we get the, the luxury of bringing on yet another kid in Clark for Trent. And we get the opportunity for Trent to hear the... Uh, the um, appreciation of Anfield. These are all good things. 84 minutes we go ahead. It is the record equaling ninth and it is Luis Diaz. And I'd said earlier on, we were going to have a, a reference to um, uh, the, the the aerial ability of this kid uh, later on the show. And this is it. It's a brilliant header. It's from a Simicus corner and it's just outstanding. I have to say, um, I loved the execution of it. Uh, I loved the fact that immediately after we went 9-0 up, the cop are chanting, we want 10. I liked seeing Mo Salah barreling in towards goal and 86 minutes cutting in from the from the right across goal as he did, even if he was blocked. I loved the chats of attack, attack, attack from the cop. Uh, even Jimmy Miller getting in on the attempted efforts on 89 minutes. And Mo slid him in down that right-hand side. Miller kind of half falling over, half sliding, attempts a cross shot. It could have gone right in at the near post, um, but it's uh, well saved by um, by their keeper yet again. And there was actually a penalty shout uh, for uh, VAR uh, to have a look at where there seemed to be, to me, there definitely was contact on Fabio Carvalho's hip by the defender's knee. Four minutes were added and nothing really accrued thereafter. But um, talk to me around about that tail end of the goal, uh, the Diaz goal, uh, tail end of the match, the Diaz goal, and anything else you want to sum up from the match details. Like I say, I'll go to Carl for his wrap-ups and we'll finish with yours. Yeah, so just on the Carvalho goal, uh, just to echo what you guys said, that touch from Costas to set that up, it's the best cushioned assist at the cop end since Neil Meller for Gerrard. It is. It's absolutely... Like, it's a gorgeous touch. The weight on it is incredible. It's a great finish. Um, and the Diaz header is tremendous. I mean, he just sort of lopes about as if, you know, this ball's going over my head. I'm just making a front post run or whatever. 
And then it's a great ball in from Costas. And he just leaps up and it's a banging header past the keeper. Gives him no chance. Um, Diaz, just he just showed everything that he has today. His passing was on point. As we talked about repeatedly, Trev, when we got him first, the, the thing that always impresses you about him is his decision-making. Like, he makes really clever choices with the ball. And how dogged he is as well. Like, he's not just a flair player. Like, that ball in the second half that Henderson clips into the box for him and he gets to, and the defender bumps him and bundles him to the floor. And rather than, you know, throw his arms up and cry for a, a free kick or a penalty or whatever it would have been, he controls the ball, gets back up, beats the defender and sets Bobby up for that chance you mentioned that hit the, bo- the base to post. Like, he's he is everything you would want in a wide player. He's not Sadio. And he's never going to be Sadio because he's a very different player. But he does have a lot of aspects of Sadio's game. And I've said this before, combined with a lot of aspects of Suarez's game. And I think we've got an absolute sensation on our hands. I think this season he is going to explode at some point. Three goals already and all of them really impressive goals. Um, We should have had a penalty. I think there's no doubt. Uh, Carvalho gets need in the hip. By I think it was Kiefer Moore, who's a big grok. Um, I, I think that's a stonewall penalty, to be honest. I, I don't know how it couldn't be. And, well, uh, well actually, actually, just to cut in here, just seeing seeing as we're going, seeing as you did go to it later on, Fab Carvalho goes down again in a ball, and when he gets up, he's fucking furious, which I love. Mm. Uh, a, but he's furious because he knows that that's like, I mean, you, you have to be actually blind. What VAR are doing there? I don't know. And like, I'm sorry, but this is important shit. This yeah. is important shit. 10 nil puts us uh, free and clear. And, 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 you know, on a day where City think they've had a great moment, it's just a little, nice little signal for them. And 10 nil would have been a Premier League record as well. Same. You know? puts, us so, free, puts us free and clear as the record holders rather than being joint record holders. And it's just, these things matter. And I, I don't understand how you look at that and you don't see that. Yeah, no, I don't understand it at all. I, I do think it's a little bit of the mercy rule. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. stop, they're already dead type of thing. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, this is, and again, this is a minor thing, but I am a pedantic bastard. So this annoys the life out of me. There were four goals scored in the second half. Every goal equals 30 seconds added at the end of the game. So four goals equals two minutes. There were four different substitutions. Four different substitution stoppages, I should say. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In the second half, uh, including Ben Pearson coming on, injuring himself and going off within five minutes. That's two minutes then as well, because again, 30 seconds for each stoppage. But Ben Pearson also spent a minute and a half on the ground. The on game the deck, was stopped. Yeah, yeah. And there were other little small stoppages like when Carvalho went down. So there really should have been six or seven or eight minutes added. Now, again, it's irrelevant, but if we're going to have rules in the game, should we not actually abide by them? Like, yeah, it didn't matter today because we're nine up, but it might matter on another day where, you know, it's 2-2 or something like that. These these are just small little things that always annoy me. Like oftentimes, now I will say oftentimes when, I think it was Harinder I said it to, oftentimes when a game is is that far out of hand and one team is just dead and buried, they'll just do like the, the one or two minutes of added time. 
So at least he did give four, but it really should have been six, seven or eight, which again, potentially is time for us to go and score another goal. But we'll take nine. We'll take nine. It's disappointing. It would have been nice to get the nice, the nice 10, but we'll take nine. And uh, hopefully that is the beginning of our season now and we can kick on from here. And just on, you mentioned the Bournemouth fans. I, I, I agree with you. I think that's pathetic. But I will say, if we were losing six or seven nil, and we heard that another team, that the team that was beating us, that their rivals were winning, we'd probably cheer it as well because you'd be so fucking depressed. Like imagine having to travel home from Liverpool to Bournemouth, which is a long old journey after watching your team get pummeled like that. That's they need some joy in their life because tomorrow morning they have to wake up and they're still Bournemouth fans. So, you know, you've got to have a little bit of joy. You're still managed by Scott Parker. Uh, and just while I'm on the topic of Scott Parker, if I can, I tweeted out during the game, Scotty Two Coats, who's wearing no coats today, has his cardigan on inside out because the tag of his cardigan was on the outside. Now, I didn't realise that in the fashionista world, certain uh, designers are doing this, putting the tag on the outside. I've seen it with like big tags that are properly stitched on, but his was flapping in the wind. So I just thought he had it on inside out. But um, I want to give credit where it's due. Uh, Sherwin Pezeskpor, Sherwin Pez on Twitter, at Sherwin Pez, S-H-E-R-W-I-N-P-E-Z, found the very cardigan that Scott Parker was wearing today. It is a delightful number made by a designer called Tom Brown. It is a cashmere stripe V-neck cardigan. And it is yours for the low, low price of £1,880. Or if you're like me and Trevin of a Euro persuasion, €2,170. Scotty Tuchel. <laughs> two things about two things on that before I go back to Carl. That's so two things about that before I go back to Carl. Wearing uh, labels that are flapping around the outside is uh, wanker behavior equivalent to wearing the sticker on your ball cap peak. Mm. I'm sorry. Also, maybe Mr. Brown, the designer there, might want to have a look at his uh, oddly reminiscent of fascistic fashion striping oh, yeah, on, 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 on the, on the, the sleeve. Is, right? I'm not the sure about that. Is, it's it's like, it's purposely kind of short. So the sleeves stop about two or three inches before the wrist and the waist stops literally at the top of your trousers. So what, what in essence you're actually doing is you're paying £1,880 uh, or €2,170 to look like you went to one of those posh boy private boarding schools and kept your uniform until you were a <laughs> mid-40s man and thought, I'm going to throw it on today for good luck. I remember we were doing the school relay and I was wearing that and my team won. So I'm going to wear it today for a bit of good. He looked fucking ridiculous. 2170 like quid to look like a prat. It sounds like it'd be a perfect fit for Jordan Pickford, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's straight in two foot at the end here. Oh, I love it. I love it. 
Uh, Carl, just to finish us out then, apart from your, <laughs> apart from your uh, sardonic uh, fashion uh, observations, uh, what would you care to say in summary? Um, well, I mean, I'm re really not one to speak about fashion sense, so I will go back to the numbers and finish on some stats and a very short question quiz thing for the pair of you to uh, indulge yourself with in the final seconds. Um, just touching on Luis Diaz that Dave mentioned about his decision making. He actually misplaced two passes today, uh, which is a pretty phenomenal record for any forward of any persuasion whatsoever. Uh, most shots taken, shots on target, and in fact, key passes today all fell to Roberto Firmino. Just again, highlighting both his all-round involvement in the final third and also the ridiculousness of stats because one of those key passes was his miscontrolled thing, which ended in the net after Harvey Elliott decided to kick it properly. Um, Stats-wise, we've got uh, this game was the first time that we had scored four inside the opening uh, half an hour since the Arsenal game, if you all remember that one, the Martin Skirtle brace and Suarez smashing the post from miles and miles out. We were wow. final up in that period of time there. That was 2014. Uh, Firmino, the first Liverpool player in Premier League history to be involved in four goals directly in the first half of one Premier League game and the first player to do it in the Premier League at all since 2017. Uh, his first goal today you mentioned his second one was his 100th Liverpool and that's right and his first goal today was his first in the Premier League at Anfield since December 2020 nearly two years since his last league goal at Anfield so glad he got that one out of the way uh, Klopp's biggest ever competitive win of his managerial career today 9-0 hadn't done that before so that's a nice one to tick off uh, obviously the first time we'd scored 9 and won 9-0 since 1989 against Crystal Palace and the final one Slightly aside from Liverpool, but involving Liverpool, uh, Raheem Sterling scored today for, for Chelsea, and he is now the third-played score for Man City, Liverpool and Chelsea, along with two others who have played for and scored for both all three of those clubs. Can you name them? Nicholas uh, and Anelka. Yeah. Yep. I got uh, uh, Anelka. And... Liverpool, City and Chelsea. Are we going back the years here, Carl, to give us a, do us a song? No, yeah. He only left us a couple of years ago. Oh, His God. career has not really done very much since. Dave, we should be getting this, mate. Left us a couple of years ago. Yes, a quite phenomenal left foot he is possessed of. His first name is Daniel. Sturridge. Oh, for Sturridge. fuck's sake. How did you know? Oh, God. That's right. awful. We, should, we definitely should have done them. Got, got there in the end. No, we didn't really. <laughs> <laughs> I always, like the thing is, you always think of him as Chelsea, Liverpool, and forget that he started out at at City. Yeah. Um, what a player, Jesus! What two incredible players those two, and Raheem. Uh, so to be fair, it is it is a trio of of brilliant players. It really is lovely, lovely uh, a little bit of, of um, um, trivia at the end there, Carl. And just for those who are looking to get their match it on during the week, what have you got coming up? Uh, I presume we'll be doing a midweek scouted uh, for Newcastle game. And we are going to try also to do a scouted for the Champions League group stage and probably look around all the Champions League groups because obviously other people, other Anfield Index podcasts would have covered Liverpool's or in depth quite nicely. So we'll have a look around the whole entire thing. And written-wise, I will have uh, quite a big American transfers feature um, regarding some young talents who are coming to 
uh, Europe this year and in the future. And I'm not really sure what else because I've been off for about four days. So we'll see. All of which sounds very engaging and will have my attention for sure. Dave, your last uh, minute thoughts then and uh, just finish up with whatever plugs you want. Look, you, you can't have anything bad to say about a 9-0 win. And as you mentioned right at the start, Trev, great to see these younger lads coming on and getting the experience and, and not looking in any way odd or out of place. Like even I thought Bobby Clark when he came on is things didn't really work out for him, but like he was dogged. He was trying to win the ball back. He was pressurizing players and showing exactly the type of attitude that will get him on Klopp's, you know, radar as someone that he, he might be one to throw an arm around and, and really try and cultivate. I think he is, I think regarded as a very big talent potentially in the same kind of category as, as Harvey Elliott and, and Fabio Carvalho and Cade Gordon. Um, so, you know, excited for him. Great for him to get his debut. Great for Pesetic uh, to get his debut. And as you said, I mean, see that fella came on and was just like, Premier League, he just starts pinging balls 30 and 40 yards. Everything is nice and easy for him. So ev- everything went perfectly today. And if we can just now top out the weekend with we- a nice announcement tomorrow that we've uh, agreed a move for, you know, a quality midfielder to come in and, and fix the only sort of weak area in the squad when everybody's back and then start getting players back. And, you know, we, we could be up and running, you know, we're probably now five points. Um, so City have 10. So we're five points back, but they look vulnerable. They looked vulnerable today. They should have been three nil down. Haaland potentially should have been sent off as well. So, you know, maybe, just maybe we get that midfielder and if they hit the ground running and we start getting players back, get ourselves to the World Cup with a small enough gap, get a nice break, get a secondary pre-season in as as it would be, and maybe we explode second half of the season and and go on and win this fucking thing again because this, this group of players deserves more than one Premier League. This group of players deserves so much more. When you think of how they stand in the history of the league. Ali, arguably the best keeper the league's ever seen, the most well-rounded keeper the league's ever seen. Virgil, I think, undoubtedly the best centre-back. Trent is, by a country mile, the best right-back the Premier League has ever seen. Mo is an all-timer. So, you know, this group of players, especially in the primes of of Virgil, of Ali, of Fab, of Thiago and of Mo, they're... They're ready to go and win it. They just need a little bit more help. And if they can get that sorted in the next couple of days, it'll give everybody a boost as well. Or those that don't get a boost from it might get a bit of a rocket up their arse because all of a sudden their position's under a bit of threat. So they have to continue to, you know, to double down, work that bit harder, put in better performances. We saw what Diaz's arrival did in January and how it sparked us on in the second half of the season. And I do think getting a midfielder in now, especially if it was somebody with a relatively high profile, I think that could be huge. As for me, um, two-footed will be Monday, Tuesday, Daily Red, Monday, Tuesday. We'll get at least one scouted in. It might be that we have to do Newcastle and the Champions League draw together because I'm out of commission Wednesday, Thursday, and I I, I don't really know about Friday because I have no idea how I'll be feeling. So, um, yeah, it, it might be a shortened week for me, but I will be on 
Raw for, for Everton. I won't make the Newcastle game. Fantastic. Uh, all the best with that in the meantime. And we'll see you for the Everton game. I want to thank Dave and I want to thank Carl and Guy for producing. This has been uh, the first joyful Raw of what will hopefully be a joyful season. I've been Trev Downey. This is Raw for Anfield Index Pro. We'll speak to you soon. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.